and not like that I'm not going to school. I'm like, oh, I miss school. It's like you don't know what you have until you don't have it anymore. Mm-hmm. That's true. As teachers, we've talked a lot, a lot about that. Like kids, you know, when you're here, you're like, I hate school. I don't want to be here. <laughs> and then <laughs> this happens. Or even like during summer break, I'd have kids message me on like the sports med Instagram. Like, I'm in school. I'm so bored. I'm like, you guys are never happy. Which one is it? Pick one. <laughs> But I get it. You don't. You don't really know what you have until it's gone. I get that. How long have you been a teacher? This is my fourth, fourth year. Is our fourth? Yeah, this is my fourth year. Not long. (laughs) Not long at all. What like got you into the profession? Like as far as I understand it, your mom is in education. Yeah, but if anything, that would have deterred me. (laughs) Okay. Um, Not in a negative way. I just yes. When I grew up, my mom was a teacher, and then she was a principal, and now she works as a top dog in the district and not in our district a different district (laughs) and I told myself okay so in high school when I played volleyball I blew out my knee and I had to go to physical therapy and I had a great physical therapist and I thought this is what I want to do I went to school my freshman year of college in the Bay Area and I was like a kinese major and um then I, I hated the school, loved the Bay Area, just hated where I was at. It was a really small school. Everyone who went there knew each other already and was like from the area besides me. And I was like, this is weird. So um, I transferred to Chapman and at Chapman, I the closest thing to Kinesis was athletic training. And um, I, had, I didn't have an athletic trainer in high school, didn't have a clue what it was. And I got thrown into it. Next thing I knew, I was learning how to tape an ankle. And I was like, okay, this is cool. Um, I did a rotation in a physical therapy clinic and hated it. (laughs) Like, it was so boring. It was like, I don't know if either of you guys go to, like, a salon to get your hair done. But it's almost like being a hairstylist in the sense that you are literally just hearing people's problems all day. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, and all those people were of the older population and I was like this is not what I want to do like this is extra boring hearing about Agnes's arthritis again or something (laughs) so (laughs) I was like no no, I can't do this so uh in athletic training you do clinical rotations in a bunch of different sites and I worked at a high school my last one of my last semesters and I was like no high schoolers are the worst and I told myself after I graduated like I will never work at a high school I was working at In-N-Out at the time. Graduated, didn't really have a plan. I got a phone call from the guy at the PT clinic that I work for, and he was like, hey, do you need a job? (laughs) Yeah, I need a job. (laughs) He was like, Tustin High School needs an athletic trainer. And I was like, okay, like, I guess I should do something in my major. Um, I worked there for almost six years, five years-ish, and thought I wanted to go to PA school. So I had observed a lot of surgeries um, with orthopedic surgeons, and thought I wanted to be a a physician's assistant. Um, I took some classes, applied, did not even get an interview, and was literally so depressed. (laughs) And I was still living at home, (laughs) making pennies as an athletic trainer. And I thought, dang, I really need to like reevaluate where I'm at and what I wanna do. And I grew to love the high schoolers. And I thought, well, half of what I'm doing is teaching them things anyway. Like, why am I not just being a teacher as well? Um, And so that was it. Went back, got my credential, and that was that. (laughs) So it wasn't ever like a – I feel like people are always like, I always had this one teacher that made me want to be a teacher. I never had that. 
I never had a teacher that really like stuck out to me like that. Um, I think I more got into it for the relational aspect than the actual teaching aspect, if that makes sense. I think that's what drew me to the career more than anything. You said your mom um, deterred you more than anything from the <laughs> educational um, field. Why is that? Um, you know, when you're a kid, like having my mom as a principal, not my principal, but a principal, I could never get lower than a B. If I got a B plus, it was like, why is one that an A? Blah, blah, blah. Like, and so I was just like so over that aspect. It wasn't that watching her do her work looked horrible. It was just the like she just always forced me to be the best student I could be. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't want to do that. Um, I think that was more it. Now that I see, I think back, my mom and I are a lot alike. So I like to think that she was probably just like me when she was a teacher. Um, I learned, I've learned a lot from her now that I'm a teacher. She works in the district office and I will say what she does has deterred me from ever wanting to work in a district office but that's different but um she definitely has taught me a ton now that I am here so I think just being stubborn thinking like I don't want to be like my mom I don't want to do the same thing my mom did but inevitably it happened <laughs> so what's your end goal then you said you wouldn't want to work in the district office like where do you see yourself in like five or ten years Dr. Romero's position so like One principal I don't, I say I don't ever want to work for a district office. Um, I got in this job, like I said, for the relational aspect and mostly for the relational aspect with students. And when you start to get away from that, the fun gets taken out of this job. So not that I don't also like adults, <laughs> but I like kids more than I like adults. <laughs> and when you I see what my mom does and she works with only adults and you know you expect more from adults so when they don't reach those standards it's a lot more frustrating than it is when you're working with teenagers um, and it's just I feel like the fun not that she doesn't love what she does and not that she's not good at it because she is but I think that she's lost the fun in it and she's lost a little bit of the passion she had I think if she could go back and be a principal tomorrow she would if she could still make whatever she made salary wise she would go back in a heartbeat <laughs> um but I had talked to Dr. Romero about this and he asked me the same question um and I told him his job <laughs> and he he even said he said I think being a principal of a high school is the best of both worlds because you do work a lot more with adults but you get to have that one-on-one -on -one connection with kids too that you don't get when you're in the district office. Do you think your age and like, well, you're not like exactly our age, like do you think you, you being a younger teacher has anything to do with like the connections that you're able to make with students as opposed to like an older teacher that we have on campus? I'm sure it helps that I was definitely in high school not that long ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm sure that definitely helps the situation that I can at least relate to your guys' level a little bit easier. Um, but honestly, I think of my mom and I think if my mom was a teacher, she would be able to do the same thing. Um, so sometimes I think it's also just a personality thing. So I definitely agree that it helps. Like there are things that you guys will say that I get probably more than another teacher might understand. But at the same time, I think a lot of it just has to do with personality too. I think 
Um, I think we still have a lot of teachers. Like, I like Mrs. Glenn. Mrs. Glenn is amazing and is amazing at what she does and still finds a way to relate to kids that, like, I look at, I go into her classroom and I think, dang, <laughs> like, this is, she's great at what she does. So I think a lot of it is personality more than age. I mean, it helps, but I think personality is huge. Do you have, like, any any other teachers on campus that you would say you look up to? Like, like how you mentioned Miss Glenn, you're like, wow, I really like the way she can connect with her kids. What do you think are a few other teachers that you can look up to? Or just examples? There are a lot, honestly, and all for really different reasons. Um, like Miss Tim. Miss Tim teaches uh, SAI, SAI, right? Mm-hmm. SAI science. And I sat in her Zoom the other day and thought she deserves an award um, for the amount of patience she has and the kindness she gives and the understanding she gives her kids. Um, she, I was amazed, um, because I've never been in her classroom before, ever. This was the first time. Um, I learned a lot from Mrs. Weber my first year, a lot of ideas of classroom management and structure, and because when I first came, I was way younger, and when you first, I don't know if you teenagers realize that you're sometimes terrifying, like, absolutely terrifying. My first year as a teacher, I was petrified I had I didn't student teach just like Mr. Flannery I didn't student teach I just got thrown into it and one I look like you guys which doesn't help me get any authority in the classroom because no one thinks I'm worth it so it's terrifying when you first come in and you guys are a tough crowd like you really have to gain some sort of rapport and street cred with you guys before you even let us into your lives so my first year was petrified I was petrified and Mrs. Weber helped me a lot to remind me that I'm the teacher and not a student. (laughs) Um, I have worked a lot with Miss Hendrickson this year on stuff, and she has taught me a lot. Um, I've learned a lot from a lot of teachers. Miss Lala I learned a lot from. She's fantastic. Um, The dedication that she has for her kids is unparalleled. Like, that woman will be in a Zoom or a Teams meeting until midnight if a kid asked for it. Um, and to me, that's amazing. <laughs> um, I've learned a lot from a lot of teachers on this campus, a lot. I've learned a lot from Dr. Romero, even in the short time that I've known Dr. Romero. So I definitely think that there are little tidbits that you can take away from almost every teacher here for sure. You said that um, like your age makes you more relatable. Does that extend to your music taste? Like, do you do you like the music that we listen to, or do you have your own taste? Um, for the, I would say that I definitely probably listen to similar music that you guys do. Um, maybe not all of it. Like, there is some music that like in the training room before football games, if a football player wants to listen to it, I'm like, no, I cannot do this. Um, and then I feel old, but. Most of the time, I feel like we're probably similar in what we listen to in some senses. Like, I, lately, with all this distance learning, I usually don't start class till like, five minutes after the bell, because what is the bell schedule these days? And I'll have music on in the background. And I mix it up all the time, depending on my mood. <laughs> and I've had kids be like, Miss Abdel, what, cl- what song is this? And I'm like, oh. You want to know what I'm listening to? Let me tell you all about it. Um, (laughs) 
Or then there's kids that are like, Miss Abdel, you should check this person out. I'm like, absolutely, I will check whatever you tell me out. So I think that I definitely relate in some senses music-wise. What would you say your favorite genre of music is? Um, honestly, if I could listen to one genre for the rest of my life, it would probably be R&B. Oh, R&B. Like yeah, 100%. Oh. Uh, done, yeah. When you came in that one day into my class, blaring T-Pain's whatever song that was, I can never remember. <laughs> that is a memory that will stick in my head for eternity, Nick. Can't believe it. That's, yes, that was, that was it. And you rapped it, and I was very impressed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just attempted to sing it, but he uses auto-tune, so. <laughs> true, 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 true. But have you heard him sing without it? Cause yeah, he's still really, great. Um, the Masked Singer, right? That's where... No, I actually heard it before that. He had put out something. My friend sent me something on, like, YouTube or something, and he had done it without auto-tune. And I was like, why doesn't he do this all the time? Because he sounds amazing without it, too. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. No, he's great. Any <laughs> I, other notable artists for you? Oh, my gosh. Um, I grew up on such an array of music. Like, my mom would blare anything. F- I have vivid rem- memories of cleaning the house on Sundays to... Anything from Alanis Morissette to Eric Badu to Lauren Hill to ACDC to Led Zeppelin to Garth Brooks to, like, every genre you could imagine. Um, so I would say, like, everything I just mentioned is up there in artists that I still listen to. Um, if I had to pick, like, I don't think I could pick a favorite. I really don't think I could. I love music too much to just say this person is my favorite or this group. I think... They're all great. <laughs> so you would say you have a pretty broad taste in music? Absolutely. Does that include country? Yes. Yes, absolutely. I used to hate country. Hate it. Like, in high school, I was like, this is the nerdiest music ever. Um, and my mom would be like, why don't you like country? And I'm like, because it just sounds so twangy. Like, it was so annoying to me. But it also, like, wasn't cool to listen to country in high school. Um, and then at some point, like, in college, I just kind of got back into it. Um, so yeah, it definitely include country. Do you go to like the, the country events and the concerts and um, those events like that? Of course I do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, I have. Um, one of my first country concerts was the Dixie Chicks way back in the day. Wow. <laughs> way, like probably in like very early 2000s. Um, that was probably my first country concert. I saw Rascal Flats a few times back then too. I feel like when they were kind of cool, I don't really know if they're cool anymore. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely attend them. <laughs> um, it's my understanding that a couple years ago you were um, at the Route 91 in Las Vegas. Um, how do you think that like changed you as a person? And like, if you're willing to share, like what, like what impact did that have on you? Whew. Uh, a lot. Nick could tell you. No, that well, wasn't your year. But I did talk to you guys about it. Yeah, you did. Yes. Yeah. Um, geez Louise. Yeah, that was my first year teaching. So keep in mind, my first year teaching, right, I hadn't student taught, so I was winging it, really. <laughs> um, and I was also the athletic trainer, which the athletic training part came easy. I had been doing it for six years. But it made my days on campus really long. And... I was already running on fumes. (laughs) Um, And I had booked those tickets before I got the job here. 
Um, really getting the job here wasn't even on my radar until probably like July, until someone told me that there was an opening for both a biology teacher and an athletic trainer. I was planning on student teaching and working at Starbucks, in all honesty, to make some money. <laughs> so I had booked those tickets then, and I remember feeling really guilty about taking time off my first year teaching, because my mom always taught me that you don't take time off unless you're dying. So <laughs> I felt real guilty. Um, and I was super excited, and I remember <laughs> getting there was a hot mess. Like, it was literally God telling me you probably shouldn't go, and I just didn't listen to the signs. Because I lived in Corona at the time, and my mom and dad drove there with my luggage. And I was a large group of us, but I flew with my mom's friend who's a principal in her district. And I met her at my parents' house. They live in, like, Seal Beach area. So my aunt picked me up, took me to my parents' house, and we get to the airport and I don't have my wallet and it's in Corona. <laughs> and I'm like, cool, so I don't have a license, so like how do I get on the flight? My mom's like, your passport's at our house. And we were getting out of Long Beach Airport. I don't know if you know about traffic in the LA area around <laughs> 4 or 5 p.m., yeah. but it's atrocious. And I got a cab and my mom's friend threw money at me to like pay for the cab because how else am I gonna pay for the cab? And somehow this cab driver got me to my parents' house and back before my flight took off to get my passport, which expired the next month, mind you, as well. So I have my passport, thank God. So then I get on the plane, we get there, and we want to uh, Uber to the concert site. And the Uber driver, the first Uber driver we book, I was doing all Ubers because I thought, well, I don't have any money and this is the only thing I can pay for and feel like I'm contributing, so I'll do the Ubers. So I did the Uber, <clears throat> and the Uber, <laughs> the first Uber that we got, literally got a flat tire and called us and was like, sorry, get another one. Okay, great. So my friend got another one, and we watched the Uber just literally driving in circles around us. And I'm like, what's happening? Does he not know where we're at? And she calls him, and she's like, if you make one more circle around us, I'm canceling you. Somehow he shows up. Somehow he found us. And... At that point, I was like, this, it was literally God telling us, like, don't go, but why would we listen, right? So we get there. First night was great, kind of a blur. Second night was even better, um, like, so much fun. Um, and then the third night, we went out to uh, dinner first. And mind you, it was a big group, but, like, smaller groups within the big group that I was with. So I went to dinner with me, my best friend, my mom, my mom's sister, my, so my aunt, and my mom's friend who's that principal. And my aunt was like, yeah, I don't really feel that good. I don't, I don't think I'm going to go tonight. And I was like, and Miss Jason Aldean? How could you do that? But okay. So she didn't go, um, and it was the four of us. And two of my best friends were there with one of their families and family friends and stuff. So there was probably close to 20 of us, like, in a group. And... Um, Right before Jason Aldean came on, my best friend and I had went to the restroom. And when I think about it, I'm like, thank God we went then and not during one of his songs and got split up because that would have been a hot mess. I can't even remember who played before him either. But before him, maybe it was like during his first song, there was some guy in the crowd who looked like ZZ Top, like had this like very long beard with super hippie guy. And he was, we called it crowd surfing because he was like, 
pretending like he was skating through the crowd and would go all the way up to the stage and back, like just making friends with people. And he would like grab my mom and go do it, grab one of like someone else. And I think too, and I'm like, thank God that didn't happen because we would have been split up then too. <laughs> so that happened literally right before. And then I remember um, like hearing popping noises and someone was like, oh cool, they're setting off fireworks, someone behind me. And I was like, I don't see a firework in the sky, like that's odd. And then I thought maybe had someone had those little popper things that you throw on the ground that pop. Um, and the first round was like just very short, just sounded like those little poppers. And then there was a little pause and then right, I don't know, after that it was just nonstop and it didn't stop. And that's when everyone pretty much had an idea that it was not fireworks. Um, and initially everyone just dropped uh, because that's what you think to do, right? And my mom luckily had just had like some shooter training at work where they teach her run, hide, fight. And so we paused, we were all down and my mom literally looked at us and was like, we're not doing this. Like we're sitting ducks if we stay here and grabbed the three of us and we took off. And thankfully, I don't know if you guys saw videos or pictures or anything but we were on if you're facing the stage we were on the left hand side towards the back so we were in a pretty safe area when you look at where most of the damage was done but so we had ran to the left which was like away from the strip really and ended up at first in a, like a house of blues bar that was right near there and they had like a tin roof and I remember hearing like all of the shots all the bullets like hitting the tin roof um, I think I, I called my dad pretty, like my initial gut reaction for whatever reason in the world was to call my dad. I couldn't tell you why, it just something told me. He was in Vegas and he was at the hotel that we were staying at. Um, and we were staying at Planet Hollywood. And I called him and originally in my head, so where the, the venue is, there's an airport nearby. And it's not like a, I think it's a private airport. And so it's a smaller one. And there was a ton of helicopters above us. And in my head, that's what was shooting at us. Like I didn't, wouldn't have thought that something was coming from a hotel. And that's what I told my dad, told him that there was something going, in my, it was like, in my head it was terrorists. I'm like, everyone thinks country, people who listen to country is racist. Someone's coming down and raining upon us. Like that's what this is. And I told my dad that and the first thing he asked is, where am I? And I was like, I don't have a dang clue where I am. Like I, we were running, I think at this point. Um, and I think I got off the phone with him and my best friend who was with me, her fiance was also in Vegas with us. And I was like, you have to call Steven. Like you have to call Steven. She didn't want to. And I was like, you, you have to just let him know what's going on before he hears from somewhere else. She called him. Um, I don't know <laughs> what she said. I don't know if she got many words out. Um, but I remember being in that little house of blues bar and I remember seeing my other two friends that I was with get like pushed out with the crowd and separated from their family friends. And uh, I definitely, you definitely sit there and think like, am I gonna see them again? Cause they just got pushed out and I don't know where they went and they're separated from their pa parents and it's a lot going through your head. Um, then we ran out of the venue and towards that little airport. And we all got, we got stopped at a fence. Actually pause for a second. <laughs> My best friend that I was with was in sandals, was in rainbows. 
And she, in her mind, really in all of ours, she was petrified to stop running. In her mind, if you stopped, you would get shot. And the shots went on. I don't think what people realize is they went on for like 12 minutes, 13 minutes. That's a very long time to be consistently shot at for a lot of time. Um, And she was too afraid to run in her sandals, so she literally ran barefoot the entire time. At one point, this girl who wore heels to a country concert, which I'll never understand, could not, and they were like these strappy things on. She, She was sitting on the ground and she couldn't get them off. It wasn't a girl that we knew by any means. And my mom stopped to help her. And my friend turned around yelling at her like, there was just such fear in her voice like and i was cussing at my mom like what the heck are you doing helping this chick that we don't even know the heck with her and her heels she will figure it out um clearly my mom made it so didn't she helped her and was fine we ran got stuck at a fence um that separated us from the airport and some guy had parked his car over there and it was like this big lifted truck and everyone was telling him because the shooting was still going And everyone was telling him, like, take the fence down, dude. Like, pull the fence down with your truck. So he put rope on the fence and pulled the fence down. And we were all running on the, like, tarmac of the airport at that point. Underneath planes, people were hiding in hangars, whatever. Um, My mom was on the phone with my dad. And my dad was like, what do you guys see? And the only thing that we could see was... I don't know if you got either of you have been to Vegas, but the Motel 6 has the largest sign ever. Yeah. <laughs> and that's all we could see was the Motel 6 sign. And my dad frequents Vegas, so he knows it very well. But um, my mom's like, the Motel 6 sign, that's all I see. Like, I'm literally running on underneath a plane, but I see that. And a lot of people were kind of hiding off in hangars, and we ended up pretty much alone, like, towards the end, just the four of us. And we get to the end and I turn the corner and literally my dad is right there on the other side of the fence. And I was like, like all we said was Motel 6 and you knew where to come. Like it was mind blowing that he even found us, but we couldn't get out to him. And so I think I'm like 98% sure the shooting was still occurring at this time. Um, and so some guy comes up on a golf cart and I don't even know if he had a clue of what was happening. I think he worked for the airport and I don't really know if he had a full idea of what's occurring. And I said, dude, you got to open up the hangar for us. And he was like, I can't, people will come rushing in. I said words that maybe should not have been said, but I basically told the guy, if you don't open the hangar, I will take your golf cart and open it myself. Like my dad's on the other side of this. I'm getting out of here. Open the hangar. And he, okay, okay, I'll open the hanger. So he's like, I'm only opening it up a little bit and you've got like two seconds to slide under. Okay. No one was rushing in because not a lot of people were really on the other side. Um, So he opened it a little bit, we crawled under. We actually ended up where we came out was like the trauma center that they had set up for people who had been shot, um, which was not a very nice place to run out to. definitely saw some things that I would like to have not seen um so oh we got in the car I had made some phone calls to some people like my um friends parents they were with us at one point and they had gone off into a hangar 
And I was like, hey, my dad's here. If you want to get in the car with us, come with us. They felt safer in the hangar. Um, We ended up back at the hotel and kind of, well, my poor friend who ran barefoot, we got to the hotel and she basically like collapsed into my aunt's arms and just lost it. I pretty much lost it when we got in the car. Like to me, once I was in the car with my dad, I was safe. I think for her, it wasn't until we got into the hotel room she felt safe. And she basically collapsed in my aunt's arms, bawling. And she, her fiancé spent majority of that night picking fiberglass out of the bottom of her feet because she... And I don't think she felt the pain in her feet until probably the next day. Um, we, me, my best friend, and her fiancé were staying in a room, like, down the hall from my parents. And we did not. I was like, I don't want to stay with just the three of us. Like, I want to be in the same place as my parents. I don't... We, I remember... Her fiance had like a, um, I'm going to forget what it's called, like an app on his phone where he can hear all of the communication between cops. Um, I can't, there's a name for it and I can't remember it for the life of me, but he was listening to it. And the scary thing is, is that every hotel, people were getting freaked out everywhere and thought anything they saw was suspicious. And so they were sending reports that there were shootings at so many different hotels like I remember the Luxor that one that looks like a pyramid the lights were completely off because there was a bomb threat like my friends who remember I told you they got pushed out and I was like well don't know if I'll see them again they got into Treasure Island and then Treasure Island um, someone had reported that they thought there was an active shooter in Treasure Island so they literally evacuated everyone out of Treasure Island so then they were back to square one trying to find a place and I think they were staying at, I actually can't remember, somewhere near the venue. Not We were at Planet Hollywood. They weren't in Planet Hollywood. Planet Hollywood. Um, they ended up running into two of their family friends that they were with. And um, they ended up, his, what, the guy, who I think is a highway patrol around here, um, ended up getting them a hotel at a random place just to put them somewhere safe, like the four of them. Um her parents who were sitting in the hangar, they were actually with a girl who had been shot and they were trying to like make sure she was okay. And they ended up, everyone who they found at, in the hangars, they took to UNLV as a like safe spot. And um, they ended up having to walk from UNLV all the way back to the strip, which is not a close walk by yeah. any means <laughs> um, because everything was shut down for the most part. Um, the end of the night, I remember listening to the little app that my friend's fiance had, and I remember being glued to the news, and you just saw the numbers of people who were injured continue to go up and up, and at some point, we like we all just needed to shut it off. Um, we all fell asleep. I, I don't know how. Maybe not all of us, but some of us crashed. Um, the next day, my mom woke up at like... I don't know, early, like six in the morning. And she woke me up bawling and was like, uh, she told me how many people had died, I think. I think she had looked something up or had turned the news on when she woke up. And she just came to me bawling, telling me, telling me how many people died and said, I just want to get the F out of here. And I was like, same. <laughs> so we packed up and left the crack of dawn. Um, and then I remember thinking, like, oh, I have to go to work at some point. Like, 
I don't even know what to do. Um, I'm not in a mindset to like teach biology or teach anatomy by any means. And I knew everyone had heard about it, right? It's all over the news. Um, thankfully, like Mrs. Weber and Mrs. Glenn knew that I was there. And remember I told you my mom doesn't believe in taking time off unless you're you know, on your deathbed. And I remember on the drive home, she was like, are you gonna go to work tomorrow? <laughs> It's like, no, I'm not going to go to work tomorrow. Um, I told her, I was like, I'm not even going to drive home. Like, I lived alone, and I didn't even feel safe being alone. I was like, I'm not, no. Um, and she was like, well, is that okay? And I was like, Mom, I don't know what you just went through, but, like, we just got shot at for 15 minutes, and, like, I'm not really ready to go back to work. Um, so I stayed with them one night. I stayed with my other good friend's mom and Corona the next night just because I didn't want to be alone. Um, I finally, I think Wednesday night, was like, okay, I need to go home and, like, maybe unpack and, I don't know, do some laundry and figure out my life. Um, I was in school at the time, finishing my credential, and my professor that I was with is this awesome dude who teaches in, like, San Clemente or something at a high school, and he teaches AP Psych, and he's just the coolest dude in the entire world, and super big on mental health and just really helpful and I sent him a text and told him what happened and I was like what am I supposed to do at work tomorrow like I think I showed up on a Thursday and I remember thinking like I don't know what am I supposed to do and so he had a conversation with me asked me what happened and he's like tell if you're comfortable tell your kids what happened and he's like you know, this was something where this was happening frequently during that time, right? And he was like, you know, kids, they need to, they need, hearing it from someone that close to them makes it real and doesn't make it just something you saw on the news or something you read, right? And um, he was like, if you can do it, do it. And so (laughs) the next day at work, I literally spent five periods crying, like back to back to back. And uh, the kids were great. Like no one asked. I was terrified that some kid was going to ask some stupid question that was going to cause me to be a hot mess um, or just be insensitive or, and that was, it was nothing like that. Um, And then keep in mind that I was also the athletic trainer (laughs) and we had football games. Uh, And I've never been someone who ever has suffered from anxiety or anything like that. Um, Never had trouble sleeping, definitely didn't sleep for probably a month after that. Like I never was like that. And the first football game, I literally, we were walking up to the field. I remember walking up to the fields and just being like stopped in my tracks and being like, and just lost it. Full blown panic attack, never had one in my life, but I knew what it was. crowds were an issue for a long time helicopters were an issue for the longest time um like loud noises any drills we had on campus were an issue uh sometimes they still are I mean not that we're on campus but I remember last year we had a power outage and Mr. I remember being like I don't know what this is like we have power outages all the time because of Riverside I should maybe get used to it at some point but I was like, I don't know what this is. And I hear Mr. Velosa yell like, everybody out of the building. And kids are just sprinting down the halls. And I was like, Whoa, like this seems scary to me. <laughs> and I think my kids saw me like just about pee my pants. And I locked my doors and like shoved them all in the corner. And then I remember hearing Mrs. Smith like, this is just a power outage. And I was like, oh my God. 
Um, so lots of things were different for a while, for sure. Um, but I think it took a lot of time to get back to normal, for sure. Um, I don't think there are... <laughs> you guys going to make me cry. <laughs> I don't know if anything will ever be normal, <laughs> but... It's definitely better now. Um, football games being hard sucked because athletic training is something I've done since I was like 22. It's like it's second nature to me. And um, it sucked having such a hard time at every game. Every game was a struggle. Um, it sucked being in fear. And it even sucked because you work at a school and you hear about school shootings all the time. I remember after Route 91, I think there was one or two school shootings and it just hit home a lot. And it makes you think like, not only are th is that a handful of people losing their lives to, for no reason at all whatsoever, but it's a, it's a larger group of people whose lives are literally changed forever. Like it's something that I don't think you can describe to people by any means. Um, I don't know if I could put like feelings into words about how it changes you, but it definitely makes you grateful. <laughs> uh, it definitely makes you think about, just have a different perspective on life and that nothing is ever like a given, that things can change in an instant. Um, and to be grateful for what you have now more than anything. Um, family time is huge. Like family time's always been huge to me, but I feel like now after that, it's even more because you just don't know. Like I remember my grandma, you know, my grandma was not with us, but um, at, at Route 91, but it was me, my mom and my aunt. So, you know, her granddaughter and two of her daughters and she, my aunt has two kids and she was watching the, the two boys. And my grandma was like, all I could think of is if something happens to you guys, who the hell do I have left? Um, it would have been her and my dad. <laughs> and so it's true. You really, you really think about uh, just how like lucky you are for what you have at this moment and to cherish it. Cause you really never know when in an instant things can change for sure. But I think I'm finally, there's little things that will trigger every once in a while. Um, I don't necessarily enjoy lockdown drills by any means. Um, they're not a good time. I've learned to deal with them and I've gotten a little bit better. But um, it's also helpful not to like call her out. But Miss Tim was also there. And it's also really helpful to have her. Um, because I know that anytime I'm freaking out, she's probably also, <laughs> and that I can call her and be like, Hey, you all right. And we can kind of bond on that. Honestly, Mr. Flannery was like probably my saving grace at every football game because I remember the, I think that first football game back. Heritage. If, yes. And it was away. <clears throat> and I remember driving up and seeing 
Um, I think that's when we went to like Del Taco yeah, we and free, we, got we got free, free food. Free <laughs> yes. They gave us one we, too many tacos. Yes. I remember you being very excited about that. Um, <laughs> and we pulled up and there was a huge line and there was a dude in a cowboy hat. And for whatever reason, just that was all that it took for me to lose my mind. And then I don't even, it took me, I don't know how long to get into the field area. Um, and we got in there and then they did like a moment of silence for Route 91. <laughs> and I was like, awesome. Not that that wasn't very kind of them, but I, it just, you know, it's a little bit too soon. And I lost it then. Um, but honestly, he was at every football game with me. Um, and even if, you know, I couldn't walk in, he was going to help me walk in at some point. Even if it was in the fourth quarter, I was going to make it at some point. Um, so it's taken it's taken a lot of time, uh, definitely a lot of time. But um, I will say that if there was another Route 91, I would go, <laughs> as crazy as that sounds. Um, but I think a lot of us probably feel that way uh, because it wasn't the concert's fault, right? Like, it wasn't their fault. Um, and I, I remember thinking, too, before I came back to work, I was just glued to the news and trying to, like, find a reason, I guess. Not that any reason would have given – I would have been like, oh, that makes sense. Like, that would have never happened, right? But I guess for closure more than anything – um, and like still to this day, there's no closure. And I finally had to get to a point where I was like, Alyssa, you're just never going to get it. Like the dude was crazy. I don't know what else. That's the only, I thought that even, you know, it's the only thing that doesn't justify it, but that's it. That's the only thing that you can do is know that he was just kind of crazy. Um, but I think that now I have come a long way, <laughs> uh, for sure. For sure. I think all of us have, for sure. We did go to, I think it was that same year or the next year, we had an opportunity to go to Stagecoach, and I had never been, and I had always wanted to go. And my aunt has a place out there near Stagecoach, and she was like, hey, it's not booked for that weekend. It's booked for Coachella, but not Stagecoach. If you want it, you can stay for free and go to the concert. And my mom's like, what do you think? And I said, I, I would only want to go with you. Like, I wouldn't want to go with a big group. This isn't this isn't a like, woo, let's have fun concert. This is a therapeutic concert. <laughs> um, and so we went, um, and it was super, super emotional. Um, there was a lot of people from Route 91 there for sure. Uh, and we literally were probably the people in the furthest back of the concert venue nearest the exit the entire time. Um, and... I think that we will probably forever do that. <laughs> we will forever get an aisle seat or be towards the back or know where our exits are or just be smarter. It's definitely caused like a heightened awareness of things for sure. Um, but I think the biggest takeaway from it was just being grateful for life and everything that comes with it more than anything. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. And I think I can speak for a lot of students when we say we're glad you're here. <laughs> Thank you, me too. Um, and I think that like the purpose of this podcast is really to show real stories. And I appreciate you sharing yours. And I hope that with this podcast and the continuation of it, we can continue to share stories. Um, Definitely. I think this is like 
I think this would have been cool like when we were in high school, right? Like I feel like I never got to know a teacher on a personal level. Um, and I think it changes things in the classroom for teachers and students. Um, and so like I know every year, every year before we do any of our drills, I actually, Nick knows, <laughs> I tell that story. Not that I look like this every time, but I usually hold it together a little bit better. But um, I do it every time. and there's always a shift in the class after I do it. It's almost like once they see that I'm not like a robot and I'm a real human with real feelings, they are a lot more respectful of me um, and like my feelings about things. And it's a lot, it's just a lot more of a trusting environment. So I think this, this whether it's kids in our, my specific class or not, um, will be huge and really powerful, like campus-wide for sure. Well, thank you so much for coming on our podcast, and um, we look forward to hearing more stories like yours, and it was really great to have you and hear everything that you had to share. Um, make sure you guys tune in next week. Um, next Sunday, we are releasing our next podcast with our special guest, Mr. Wimpenny. Tune in next time for the High School Transcript. <laughs>